the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The fast pace of today's world is creating a silent epidemic that's impacting our physical and emotional well-being. According to today's guest, Dr. Paul Knapper, our accelerated lifestyles, always on technology, and ever-increasing job demands have created a tsunami of overwhelm and anxiety. Dr. Knapper warns that we've lost our agency, which is the ability to deal with stress and act as an effective agent for ourselves. Dr. Knapper leads a management psychology practice and is a co-author of the book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. Welcome, Dr. Knapper. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So, Doctor, this is really a a very important topic because it's been reported that two of every three Americans say that they are extremely or somewhat anxious. How is the way that we're living today impacting our well-being? Well, as everybody knows, we live in a a much faster-paced society than we did 20 years ago, and it continues to accelerate. So whether you're in business and trying to adapt to changing uh, customer demands or you are simply um, working from your home, people are aware that things are moving much, much faster. We are expected to be available uh, to communicate almost instantaneously most hours of the day and night, and there's information simply coming at us at all hours. So one strength of our culture as Americans is we, we say yes to new things. So, you know, we embrace the new. And, and for the most part, that's worked well for us. However, in today's culture, too much of a good thing is, is sometimes not a good thing. And people are, as you said, simply experiencing overwhelm on a, on a much more frequent basis than is healthy and, and optimal. So I started doing this work. I work with uh, business leaders in Fortune 500 companies and some smaller companies as well. Um, and you know, when I first started doing this work 20 years ago, I rarely heard people saying to me, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by what I'm facing. I'm overwhelmed by the demands being placed on me. Uh, today, I hear it every day. So we started thinking about what, what is going on here and what is the effect of all this anxiety and overwhelm on people. And what we found is it's compromising people's capacity to make good decisions for themselves, to, to make healthier choices and, and to make um, decisions that create the lives they want. They most want to create. So that's where agency comes in because agency is a a very robust concept. And it essentially is about the human capacity to make choices, uh, to to make a decision regardless of of your circumstances. And I think what a lot of people feel today is that they don't have uh, the ability to choose, uh, the freedom fully to choose. So many people feel constrained in making choices. And again, with the heightened anxiety and overwhelm, you know, there's a lot of fear that drives their decision making. So so you see a lot of people just silently suffering um, these days. It's really how can we as human beings make the best choices in our lives, despite the fact that everything has sped up so much and we're so overstimulated. We're all just trying 
trying to create lives that are meaningful and healthy and happy for ourselves. Um, and uh, that's really under threat today. So, Doctor, when we're experiencing all of this anxiety and overwhelm and we're feeling trapped and we're living in fear and, and doing all of the things that you just described, and we're trying to ignore the way we're feeling because of the very feelings we're having, why is that a bad idea? What happens to us when we try to stuff it or ignore it? Well, it, it doesn't get better. Obviously, it gets worse. And I think what a lot of people, I notice this in business <clears throat> quite a bit. Many of my clients in business, um, these are strong people um, who uh, try to gut it out and you know just grind through it. But what I found is that when people aren't being honest about what they're actually facing and, and dealing with and, and they don't address it, they just postpone the inevitable. So I start seeing physical health um, deteriorating in clients who ignore it. They they're, they're, they become depressed over time if, if they ignore it for too long. So I think it's, 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 it's a good time to just honestly face, how is my life going? Um, and agency, personal agency, begins with that, that capacity to take a step back, take a brief time out and reflect on where you find yourself and, and honestly assess, how is my life going? How am I feeling about this? How am I feeling about my work? How am I feeling about my family life? How am I feeling about where, we, where I live? Um, and, you know, really doing that kind of uh, check-in and being honest about the answer and then, and then finding some people to talk about it with, you know, finding a trusted um, loved one, counselor or coworker or whomever it is and just being honest and, and I see a lot of executives doing that these days and these are these are very high achieving people and they they are opening up and saying, you know, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by what's on my plate and how do how do I address this? What do I do about it? So I think that that's the, the bottom line. I took your online test at powerofagency.com and I fell in the middle ground when it comes to controlling stimuli that I expose myself to. And and to be honest, I would agree with that. You write about a high agency person. What does that person look like and what does he or she do differently? Great question. Um, First, um, in terms of your score on the control stimuli subtest, uh, in, our, in our test, you did better than most people. Most people are doing, you know, really struggle with that. And controlling stimuli is, is, is the place that we start with people who want to gain a higher level of agency in their lives. Um, because what you allow into your mind largely determines how you feel, it determines how you think. And so when people do a better job of, of being aware of how much stimulation they allow into their lives, and we're we're talking primarily digital stimulation here, and when they make choices about how to limit that or, or get the optimal amount of stimulation, um, they do better. They feel better, and they think better. So you're ahead of the game, Joan, because most people from our research really are, are not doing a, a great job at, at managing and controlling the amount of stimulation they expose themselves to in, in the course of, of an average day. So what does a high-agency person look like? Well, you know, first of all, Agency is situational. So what, what my level of agency is, how, how I feel in terms of you know, my own level of personal agency is going to vary somewhat depending on the situation. But a, a person who, who feels a high level of, of personal agency feels grounded, feels uh, centered, uh, feels that they um, have options. They, they, they feel a sense of what we call a high internal locus of control as opposed to an external locus of control. And those are you know, psychological terms that refer to how a person feels about themselves in the world. A high locus of control or, or internal locus of control rather means that I feel like I have the capacity to make this decisions in my life and act on the environment that I'm a part of. A person with external locus of control feels like the environment really has the upper hand and the external environment is largely dictating uh, what I'm able to do and the choices I'm able to make. So high lo- a person with high agency feels like most all the time they do have a, an internal locus of control. They, have an, they always have the capacity to make a choice in, in regardless of the situation. Sometimes they may, you know, so the choices may be somewhat limited. They may not be always the best, your easiest choices, but there's always a choice. And what I found, what we found in our research is that more and more people are feeling constrained in terms of 
what's available to them in terms of the choices they can make in their lives. They, they, in other words, they feel carried. They feel like they're being carried along um, by life, by by the the external environment. And so, what we want to remind people of is, hey, you do have you you always have this thing we call agency within you. It's your capacity to reflect on your situation and make a choice. And we forget that sometimes we get so caught up in the moment and particularly when we're overwhelmed, we, we lose track of that. So the book is really designed to help people, you know, gain hold of that again and build it, you know, to a higher higher level so that they actually are making you know, healthier choices each each and every day. Doctor, where does our agency come from? Is it from the subconscious programming that, uh, you know, of everything we've experienced throughout our life? Is it something that's innate? It's a great question, and 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 a, and a pretty deep one, um, actually. I mean, you know, it, we noticed that among children, right, young children, they almost seem programmed, right? They they come into the world, they they want to learn, they want to uh, grow, uh, they want to be able to to walk and and talk, and do all kinds of things, but. They also um, need to be taught. They need to learn from from other people, and so we can say that there is an innate human capacity for agency, uh, which again is this capacity to make good rational choices in in one's life. Um, but it does need to be developed. So. In other words, um, you know how we think as human beings has a lot to do with our level of agency in our lives. It has a lot to do with the, the kind of lives we end up creating for ourselves. So agency does need to be developed, but there's an innate human desire for agency. We all want to feel like we're captains of our of our own ships, that we can you know sail through any kind of uh, sea and and navigate our lives. In, in a healthy, positive way. So there is this innate human desire uh, for agency. And agency feels good. When we exercise personal agency in our lives, it feels good. We feel like we've, uh, we've, we're, we're part of something. We're engaged. We feel a sense of personal power. We feel a sense of confidence in our in our ability to to make good decisions, um, and so you know, and that's really what has to be developed is is the capacity to form good social relationships with other people, a capacity to manage our emotions and beliefs, and our capacity to to think both um, you know intuitively and to think more logically and analytically. And so, what's interesting, agencies never taught really specifically to students, for example. Um, but, you know, it is taught in more indirectly because at the end of the day, our success as people depends on our capacity to adapt, our, uh, to adapt to change, of course. And as change accelerates around us, agency becomes a really critical part of the equation because without it, we're not going to be able to effectively adapt um, to to the environment around us, and that's where we see a lot of people falling, you know, falling down um, is is right there, and that's why we're seeing such elevated uh, levels of anxiety. As you said earlier, Joan, you know, 20% of Americans uh, carry around a a clinical diagnosis of of anxiety disorder. 20%. It's an enormous number, and there are many, many millions more who are just undiagnosed, who who really are are, are operating with, you know, extremely high levels of anxiety each, each and every day, and that's debilitating, and it's no fun, and it also compromises their ability to make good choices and to navigate their lives, you know, in, in a healthier way. Doctor, can you explain a feedback loop and how it relates to agency? Yeah, this gets into something that's quite important because agency, which is another another way of describing it, is our, our capacity to be effective agents for ourselves or, you know, to connect with our power, our internal power. It, it largely depends on socially who we're connected to. So when we are connected to and expose ourselves to other people who are healthy, who are positive, people who, whom we can learn from, people who might challenge us to think differently uh, at, at times, um, our level of agency increases. If, if 
we surround ourselves with people who give us messages that we're not we're not enough, we're not good enough, um, or that we um, are incapable, or we're unattractive, or any of those kinds of negative sort of you get into a negative feedback loop, it really starts to affect how someone sees themselves, and it affects their love. It ultimately can affect their level of agency. And what we see today is we're exposed to so many messages now. Um, you know, it's, we're living in uncharted territory. Um, many people don't realize that because it's sort of like that frog in the boiling pot of water. The water just gets gets hotter and hotter on the stove, and, and, the, and the frog doesn't, you know, just notices it just slowly getting warmer, but it's all of a sudden when it gets super hot that the frog is extremely uncomfortable and want, you know, wants to jump out of the pot. And it's kind of like that's where we are as a society. I think people are just starting to get more aware of the kinds of messages that they're receiving and, and the effects of those messaging. So the negative feedback loop that you refer to is when people take in a message and, you know, if, if they're receiving a negative message or a message they're interpreting negatively, over time, that negative feedback loop gets worse and they're apt to spread that. So, so that person is apt to um, feel badly about themselves and they may, in their next interaction with another person, spread that negativity to that other person. So when it comes to anxiety, one of the things we, we, we like to stress to people that's really a critical thing to understand is anxiety is socially contagious. So if I'm extremely anxious, you're going to pick up on it and you're going to start feeling anxiety as well. So we do spread anxiety around. We also spread other feelings around as well. I think a lot of times people aren't aware of that and they, they may not be aware of the messaging too, that especially you know younger folks who spend a lot of time on social media report, you know, feeling in some ways less than a lot. They, they look at the lives that are portrayed on social media, these idealized lives, and they compare themselves. To, to, to what they see, the images, which of course aren't entirely real, and they feel badly about themselves. So, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of messaging out there today that people need to be more critical consumers of and, and frankly need to move away from, move away from messaging that makes people feel um, less important or less powerful or less attractive. It's, it's just simply not a good idea to expose yourself to, to that type of stuff. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I actually went through that with social media when I went through some personal life challenges. And I started to realize that what everyone is showing is what I call their A-roll. You know, it's the A-game, but that's not everyday life. And I love one of your recommendations where you say to limit the time you spend on social media. It casts you in the role of a passive bystander in other people's lives, not as a director of your own life spend more time in your own life. And I think that that is such fantastic advice to spend more time in our own life. Absolutely. And, and spend time in real relationships, uh, you know, relationships in real time and relationships that are that are helpful to you that, again, allow you to to grow and learn and experience yourself in new ways. Because I think that's the other thing about social media is, you know, it generates a lot of feelings in people, but it, 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 it's, it's a, it is more passive. And, you know, it's unlike a um, a real relationship in real time where you you actually can see the person you develop good social skills because you're you're you know you're engaging with that other person and we we were finding in 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 many uh, work situations that you know younger folks who have been on social media a lot to to the point where they've excluded or limited the amount of real-time connectedness, real-time social relationships, that they show up in the workplace and their social skills aren't well-developed. So they struggle, right? They struggle with how to uh, work in a collaborative way with, you know, with a, a wide range of different people. And, you know, they really have to uh, embark on kind of a remedial education, a catch-up, as it were, um, because their their social skills have not developed. It's, you know, so it's a very, you know, social media is, is, is absolutely fine. But as you said, we, we liken it to, you know, having some potato chips, right? You know, we wouldn't ever sit down with 10 bags, large bags of potato chips and just 
just continue eating and eating until we we can't eat anymore. We're saying it's a useful thing to have a a portion of of potato chips and enjoy those, right? And then that's it. And the same thing with social media. You need to set some limits on it. You need to recognize it for what it is. And it's it's a relatively new thing in our society, right? We're still learning about it and learning about its positive and negative aspects. And I think people need to be a bit more sophisticated in consuming this digital stuff because it has a direct impact on how you feel about yourself. Um, and, and a lot of times it, it seeps in it, it, it slowly and and you don't even realize it's happening. Have a balance in your life. You know, make sure that you have healthy social relationships. And, you know, by definition, you know, social media, it's, it's not entirely real, right? It's just, it's just not. That's, that's the reality. The book is The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Knapper and his work, you can visit powerofagency.com. Dr. Knapper, thank you so much for joining us and for teaching us about the power of agency and how it can help us regain control of our lives and create the life that we want to live. Well, thanks for having me on, Joan, and, and congratulations on your show. Just You could do great stuff and, and help lots and lots of people. So thanks again for having me on. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Odette Coronel, a coach who helps people create the life and relationships they want. She is here today to discuss unhealthy marriages. Welcome, Odette. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm so happy to be here with you. Odette, oftentimes we hear people say to someone, your marriage is making you sick. What does that actually mean? How can a marriage make a person sick? Well, if someone is experiencing any physical or mental health symptoms, they may be directly linked to the state of your marriage. You know, we've all heard that smoking, eating fried foods, and lack of exercise may eventually lead to poor health. But what we don't realize is that being in an unhealthy relationship may be just as detrimental to your health and well-being. There's been a number of studies linking chronic marital stress to a decline in both physical and mental health. Professor of Psychiatry Robert Waldinger, he's the fourth director of a long-term Harvard Medical School study, which has been following participants for over 75 years. And this study has found that the people that were the healthiest at age 80 were those that reported being the most satisfied in their relationship at age 50. Waldinger has quoted as saying that how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Can you believe that the level of marital satisfaction at 50 is greater indicator of health later in life than your cholesterol level at 50? There's also a University of Michigan study that found that there's a 35% increase in your chances of getting sick 
and even shortening your life by four to eight years if you're in an unhappy or chronically stressful relationship. As you were just providing that information, I think so many of us don't pay attention to this. You're right. You know, we we think about our nutrition and whether we're exercising, but I don't think we're really looking at our interpersonal relationships and even, you know, our marriage, the most important relationship we may have. And so it really can, as as you're saying, create dis-ease in all of us and make us sick. So if we're thinking that this is happening, what, what are some of the things that we can do to remedy the situation? Joan, yes, it could be, there could be very serious consequences, actually. If you don't take steps to improve your marriage, you may start to notice a steady decline in your health. And with declining health, all areas of your life will be affected as well as your longevity. There's another study, an Ohio State study, that found that as a result of chronic marital stress, it's possible to develop insomnia depression, anxiety, decreased immune function, obesity, high blood pressure, and other heart problems. It found that unhappy couples had higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Now, our bodies are hardwired with survival instincts as well as automatic physiological responses. So your body naturally releases this stress hormone when it thinks that you're in danger. The reason that your body does this is that it wants you to react a certain way so that you can protect yourself from the perceived threat or dangerous situation. This is why the why cortisol is sometimes referred to as the fight or flight hormone. It makes sense that when we're in conflict with ourselves, many times our behaviors include fighting and arguing or avoiding having to deal with the conflict altogether by shutting down, not talking at all, which can potentially cause an even bigger wedge in the relationship. So in times of conflict, we tend to literally fight or flight. But when you are in this constant fight or flight state, you're continuously activating that stress hormone. And the hormone comes in very handy if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. However, chronic levels of cortisol lower your T-cells, which protects us from infection and help fight cancer. And it also affects your blood pressure as well as all of the ailments I mentioned earlier. So the consequences of being in a chronically stressful or unhappy marriage can be quite serious. If we're not even paying attention or realizing that this could be the problem, are there some signs of an unhealthy relationship that we should be looking for? Yes, Joan. It's important that we stop for a moment and take stock of your current circumstance as it relates to your physical and mental health as well as the health of your marriage. In other words, think about any physical or mental health issues you may be currently experiencing. And on a scale of one to 10, one being very poor, 10 being excellent, how would you rate your level of physical health and wellness? How would you rate your level of mental health and wellness? Then take a look at your marriage. Think about your level of overall happiness and satisfaction. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate that level? One being extremely unhappy and 10 being blissfully happy. Notice if there's any correlation between the numbers you come up with. In general, if you start noticing any physical or mental symptoms, take a look at the state of your relationship. Awareness is an important step in taking control and making potentially life-saving changes. Another thing, Joan, Albert Einstein famously said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Now, I'm not suggesting that either you or your partner are insane, but I am saying that if you want to create a different result, you have to do things differently. On a serious note, if you are in a situation where the relationship is toxic or your partner is abusive in any way, consider reaching out to a professional for help and take steps to remove yourself from an unhealthy or potentially dangerous situation. But if you are in a loving, committed relationship and you've just found that you're in a rut and an unhealthy dynamic, there are things you can do to improve your marriage. I know we always want our partner to change, and perhaps they should, but be willing to start making the changes yourself without waiting for your partner to change. First of all, beware of what Dr. John Gottman coined the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So instead of criticizing, express yourself without blame. Use I statements, for example. And avoid treating your partner with contempt by focusing on the things that you appreciate about your spouse and be sure to communicate that appreciation and respect. Also, rather than being defensive, accept responsibility for your part in the conflict. Remember, no matter how much we disagree with someone, there's always at least 10% that we can agree on. And finally, do your best not to stonewall. When you find yourself shutting down because you're feeling overwhelmed, just take a break, but don't shut your partner out completely. In general, prioritizing your relationship and taking steps to have the best marriage possible will not only improve your overall happiness and satisfaction, it'll contribute to leading a long, healthy life. 
Odette, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Odette and her work, you can visit odettecoronel.com. And as always, to hear more from Odette, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Odette. We'll be right back. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. The pressures and activities of daily life can wreak havoc on a love relationship. Expressing emotion on a consistent basis can fall to the side, and the things that say I love you don't get said or don't get through. According to today's guest, Dr. Gary Chapman, each one of us has a primary love language, which when spoken, fills up our emotional love tank. And when we learn to speak a partner's primary love language, the love we share will be exciting beyond anything we have ever felt before. Dr. Chapman is here today to help us identify, understand, and learn how to speak a partner's primary love language. He is a speaker and counselor and the author of the Five Love Languages series. Welcome, Dr. Chapman. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Joan. It's great to be with you. Dr. Chapman, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here because this is really such an important topic, especially in light of the current divorce rate statistics. And in the opening of your book, The Five Love Languages, you write about a question that I believe so many people want answered. And I believe they want this answered because... Many who are part of a failed relationship really did try. I mean, they gave it everything that they had. And when the relationship ended, they didn't really understand what went wrong. So I want to begin with that question. What happens to love after the wedding? Well, I think, Joan, you know, we've studied the in love phenomena uh, where we are swept along with these powerful emotions. Uh, but the average lifespan of that high is two years and we come down off the high. But many, many couples are not aware of that. I was not aware of that. Mm -hmm. So when I came down off the high, and my wife and I had been dating for two years before we got married, so I came down pretty soon after the honeymoon, and I, you know, our differences emerged, and we began arguing with each other, and before long, we didn't like each other. And I think this is what happens. Uh, people are not anticipating that they will come down off the high. They think if they have the real thing, it's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And the reality is when we come down off the high, we have to now learn how to intentionally love each other or what I call the love tank, the emotional love tank, will get empty. And when the love tank is empty and we begin arguing with each other and we say hurtful things, in a while, we don't even want to be with each other. So I think that's what happens in, in many, many marriages. Doctor, is it enough for one person in the relationship to have his or her love tank be filled? You know, sometimes there are you have the one partner who reads these books and who wants to really make the relationship work and the other person doesn't. So is that enough to make it last? Well, one person cannot create a good marriage, but one person can greatly influence their spouse. Let's face it, we are influencing each other, either negatively or positively, almost every day by the things we say and things we do. But because we so deeply need love, when you speak the love language of the other person and you do it consistently, you are beginning to get through to them that you genuinely love them. And there's something inside of them that responds to that. Uh, and, they, and they tend to respond then to, to speak your language. Now, you're exactly right. Often, 
one person reads my book and, mm-hmm. they, and they learn their love language, learn the spouse's love language. They try to speak it and nothing happens. At least they don't see anything happening. And what I say is this, after you have spoken their language consistently every week for say two or three months, then you can start making requests of them. They may not automatically respond, but if you start saying to them at that juncture, honey, could you, uh, you think you could vacuum the floor for me this afternoon? There's a good chance they'll do it because they have been feeling love from you. Mm-hmm. And now you're giving them guidance as to what they could do if they choose to do. And many times they will respond to your request. So you can really teach the other person to speak your love language, even when they haven't read the book, have no idea what's going on, but you are influencing them by the power of love. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will respond, Joan. You know, it's, it's no question about it. There are some people, you can love them in their love language, but their wires are so crossed or they have such anger or hurt or depression or whatever uh, that they don't respond. But I do believe it's the most powerful thing you can do to influence your spouse. Speak their love language. I want to talk about these five love languages briefly. The first one, quality time, what does that mean? It means giving your spouse your undivided attention. It's not simply being in the same room, you know, sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting on the couch, TV off, looking at each other, talking, interfacing, or taking a walk down the road and talking with each other, or going out to eat, assuming that you talk to each other, <laughs> which is not <laughs> always the case. Uh, but it's giving the person your undivided attention. Really, it doesn't always have to involve conversation. It can be uh, planting a flower garden together or some other activity. But the important thing about the activity is not the activity. It's that we are doing this together. So it's really focusing your attention on each other. So, Doctor, the next one, words of affirmation. That's when someone needs to hear verbal compliments in order to feel loved. Yes. You look nice in that outfit. Really appreciate what you did. You know, one of the things I like about you are just the words, I love you, mm-hmm. you know, spoken sincerely. Uh, and for some people, words are powerful. In fact, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can kill each other right. or we can give each other life by right. the way we talk to each other. So, yes, for some people, if they don't receive affirming words, they don't feel loved. You can give them gifts and other things, but those are meaningless to them. What they're looking for is verbal affirmation. Okay, so, Doctor, you just mentioned the next one, and that's gifts. What does that encompass? It's actually giving gifts to the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. We have never discovered a culture where gift-giving is not an expression of love. It's universal. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. And it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, you don't have to have money to give gifts. You can get a free flower in your backyard. But, you know, it's a matter of thinking about the person and what they might like Mm -hmm. and then choosing to get that, whether you purchase it or whether you find it as you're walking on a trail. Uh, But you give them something as an expression, I was thinking about you when I was away. Okay, Doctor, so the fourth language, then, acts of service. Doing things for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, that is such things as cooking a meal. That's a huge act of service. Or washing dishes, vacuuming floors, mm-hmm. walking the dog, changing the baby's diaper. You know, anything that you know the other person would like. You know the old saying, Joan, actions speak louder than words. Right. It's true for these people. It's not true for everyone, but it's true for these people. If this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. And the final one, physical touch. Physical touch. In a marriage relationship, that is such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of the marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg, by physical touch. So it's a powerful language of love. How do we know which is our language and how can we figure out what our partner responds to? We can receive love in all five languages. That is, almost anyone would find these things to be meaningful. However, one of them typically stands out above the others. And here here are three clues uh, for yourself or for someone else. Uh, Observe their behavior. If they're always giving people pat on the back or high fives, then you may think and consider maybe that's their love language. If they're always giving gifts to people, then that may be their language. Or if they're always giving other people encouraging words. So observe their behavior and observe your own behavior. Secondly, what do they 
complain about most often. The complaint reveals the love language. If a spouse says, for example, we just don't spend any time together. I feel like we're two ships passing in the night. Mm -hmm. They're telling you quality time is their language. Or if you go on a business trip and you come home and they say, you didn't bring me anything. They're telling you Uh gift is their love language. Or, or, Or if they say, I don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it. They're telling you physical touch is their language. You see, we tend to get defensive if a spouse complains. Mm -hmm. But really, they're giving us valuable information. And then the third clue is, what do they request most often? If they're saying periodically, can we take a walk after dinner? Or can we uh, go out to dinner? Or do you think we could get a weekend away? They're asking you for quality time. Or if you start to go on a business trip and they say, be sure and bring me a surprise, (laughs) they're telling you that gifts is their love language. If you put those three together, Joan, observe their behavior, what do they complain about, and mm-hmm. what do they request? You can pretty well figure out a person's primary love language. Okay, so Dr. Chapman, now we figure out the love language of our partner. What can we expect to have happen? I think what happens is when we make the conscious choice to try to speak the other person's language, we begin to communicate love in a way that touches them emotionally, and their emotional love tank begins to fill up. They begin to genuinely feel loved by you. And over a period of time, their behavior begins to change, typically, because when a person is being loved, because they so desperately need love, they are drawn to the person who is loving them. So it is a, it's a powerful way of doing, and they say it's a meaningful way of doing what you really may already be doing. You know, you, you probably are already speaking some of these languages, but if you're speaking your own language and not their language, they're not getting it emotionally. And the love languages helps you communicate love effectively. The book is The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. We have only touched upon this subject, so if you would like to learn more about this topic, the book, or Dr. Chapman, you can visit the website, fivelovelanguages.com, and that's the number five, fivelovelanguages.com. Dr. Chapman, thank you so much for being here. This information has saved so many relationships, and hopefully with our listeners having this knowledge, we'll save even more. So I'm so happy that you were here today to help teach us how to create loving, lasting relationships. Well, thank you, John. It was great to be with you. We'll be right back. Do you suffer with heel pain? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, a podiatrist from Woodland Park, New Jersey, practicing at Advanced Foot Care of NJLLC. According to the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery, plantar fasciitis is the most common cause of heel pain. The condition occurs when the plantar fascia on the bottom of the foot becomes inflamed. This ligament is responsible for supporting the foot's arch. Risk factors include being obese, having a very high arch, having tight calf muscles, and participating in activities that create stress on the heel bone. Activities such as running, jumping, certain workout routines. Most people can manage plantar fasciitis with at-home treatment. Resting the foot and applying ice can reduce inflammation. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen or naproxen can help with pain management. Stretching the muscles of the leg thoroughly before and after physical activity, as well as throughout the day, may help to reduce the heel pain. Wearing supportive shoes as well as custom-molded orthotics can also help relieve the heel pain. If an individual's plantar fasciitis does not get better with these treatments, see a podiatrist for further treatment options. In today's medical world, there are several non-surgical options available to get rid of plantar fasciitis permanently. If you would like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. When deciding to list your home for sale, the goal is to sell your home at the highest price possible within the shortest period of time. Making sure that your home sells fast is an important part of this process because it makes sure that you net the most money possible. Hi, my name is Danielle Grosso from my team, GC Properties, New Jersey, within Keller Williams Realty, here to share four tips with you on how to sell your home faster and at the highest price. One, make buyers feel at home by decluttering your home. Pack away all personal items like pictures, awards, and sentimental belongings. Two, since you took the time to declutter, keep it organized. Before the buyers show up, pick up toys, make the beds, clean and put away the dishes. Three, give buyers full access. 
Some buyers, especially those relocating, don't have much time available. If they can't get into your house right away, they might move on to the next one, and you don't want to miss the opportunity. Four, and most importantly, price it right. With all the competition coming onto the market, you want to make sure your home is noticed. By pricing it to sell immediately, your home will be seen by the greatest amount of buyers, might get multiple offers, and will sell above the asking price. Wouldn't that be great? If you want to sell your home in the least amount of time, at the best price, with as little hassle as possible, a local realtor is a useful guide. Call them today to find out what you need to do to get your home sold. And if you have any further questions about real estate, whether that be buying, selling, or investing, please visit our website, gcpropertiesnj.com and click the contact button. I'd love to connect. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Esther Pippoli, helps families navigate life's difficult moments. She's the owner and founder of Loss of Life Advocates, also known as Lola. Her company provides confidential concierge grief support to families, business owners, and employers, helping them navigate the operational side of loss. Welcome, Esther. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Joan. Esther, when we experience a loss, we often look to the outside world to help us heal. We rely on other people. And while support is very important, do you believe healing is an inside job? Absolutely, Joan. I think that what people sometimes miss is that Um, it's immediate when your loved one passes away that some type of grief counseling or grief support comes into play and people are recommending it for you. However, what's important is that you start looking on the inside of yourself to say, you know, what are the things that I was doing with my loved one prior that were habits, that were things that were daily rituals that I need to now start looking within myself to fill those spots? And how can I fill them with things that are healthy, that are good for me, that are um, restorative, and that you can find some sense of peace around? And I think that sometimes when people are looking at loss, they think of, you know, I've lost this this friend, this loved one. Um, But there were patterns and things about that relationship that come into play. And so that's something that you have to resolve within yourself to find a space to find something new to fill it with, a new pattern, a new habit, a new hobby. Um, so that you're kind of finding joy in a new way and filling it in that space that used to be um, dedicated to your loved one. And maybe you dedicate that new stuff to your loved one and their memory um, of filling it. So it could be gardening. It could be um, sewing, quilting. It could be hikes. It could be just going for a walk, um, maybe doing something with pets and volunteering. But when you start with yourself on the inside, you're having to fill those hollow those hollow you know places within you, and I think that that's really important. Um, and sometimes a grief support person or a grief counselor can help you get to that point. But really, when you sit back and you're thinking about what is this loss I'm feeling, it usually is the normal things that you used to do with the loved one that has passed on. I agree with you because I think when you start to rely too much on external people or things, you just become dependent on someone or something else to make you happy. Exactly. And I think that they um, all serve a good purpose for you in the healing process, but it's also, you know, something that you have to be able to be comfortable with in your alone time. And I think that's where people get really confused and that's when the sadness creeps in. And so it really is um, thinking of loss as it wasn't just the individual that passed away. It were all it was all those patterns and things Um, that you do during the day and your therapist or your grief support group is not there with you during those moments. Esther, you just mentioned a few things that we can do that can help us to heal from the inside, but can you recommend a way that we can get started on this process? Because when we're in grief, you know, the last thing we want to do is try to look within. So how do we get started? You know, I always tell people, you know, what were the things that you did, you know, write down or journal the things that you did with your loved one, whether it was making that morning phone call, if you're calling a parent, um, or if you are living with a spouse, you know, what were the things that you were doing? For a lot of people, if they were taking care of somebody that was terminally ill, there was a lot of time spent with them. So having to really look at that space and say, wow, I really spent so much time with my loved one all the way to the end. Now I have a full day. So maybe you start building some structure in, whether it's getting up in the morning, going for a walk, doing a meditation, taking up yoga, but finding things for yourself. For some people that go back to work, it's also finding new meaning at work to make sure that you've got some structure set up for you because maybe you were taking daily phone calls to check in. So maybe you find somebody new that you say, you know what, if you don't mind, I'm going to take round robin my friends and call them. 
but really it is um, journaling and really writing down how you spent time with that loved one. Yeah, I agree. I, I think structure is important because I know in my own life, when, whenever I am sad about something, when I have too much time on my hands, it seems to make things worse. So like you're saying, to start to schedule in some things to, you know, maybe at first just keep yourself busy, but within time, I think that will start to transform into some type of things that give you passion and joy. We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 